Welcome to the College Church Sabbath School Podcast, where each week Pastor Anar Ram and Elder Roger Prather will be diving into the weekly lesson from the Seventh-day Adventist Church. The congregation at the College Church has made it their motto to love, grow, and serve. We really want to learn to love more, grow more, and serve more. It is our hope that through these conversations, we can learn to better serve our congregation, our local community, and the world. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope you are blessed with today's conversation. Welcome to the College Church Podcast. Uh, my name is Pastor Enar Ram, and with me are my friends... Thomas Bloom. And... Roger Prather. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. And you may be listening to this when it's evening or afternoon or middle of the night for we know. And we're just glad that we could be part of your lives. This is an amazing book, the book of Ephesians. I feel strongly that this is one of those books that all Christians need to really marinate on in a little bit more because of the 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 understanding of salvation and how that really really impacts us as believers. So with that, why don't we have, begin with a word of prayer? Tom, would you pray for us as we start? Absolutely. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Father, we thank you for the ability to open your Word and to learn what you would have us to learn. Father, be with us now as we go through Lesson 9 of our Sabbath School lesson. Be with us. Send your Holy Spirit to talk to us, to let us know what you want us to know. And Father, bless this conversation as well in thy name. Amen. 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 So it's um, interesting that... um, Yeah, it's it's interesting that uh, we begin. All right, so let's begin the lesson with um, our memory verse, our memory text. Yeah. Okay, which comes from Ephesians five, fifteen through seventeen, and I'll read it, and I'll let then I'll let let you go, Pastor. Okay. Okay. All right. So Ephesians five, fifteen through seventeen. Look carefully then how you walk as an unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. Because the days are evil, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Wow. I think the King James uses redeeming the time. And that's a powerful, powerful word. Now, as I was going over the lesson, I'm really convinced that we need to kind of go back to the basics. And the basics, Paul outlined right there in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. And we talked earlier about that word predestination, but that was God's intention. So it says here in verse 4, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. That's really important. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in according with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sin of sins, and in accordance with the richness of God's grace that he has lavished on us. That's really crucial because we must approach lesson number nine from the fact that we are sons and daughters of God, period. It's not like we are, you know, 
out in the middle of nowhere and we're given some marching orders, hey, redeem the time, make the most best of this situation. But we are, in fact, already secure in Christ Jesus. And I almost want to say, can I hear an amen? <laughs> amen, yeah. There seriously. we go. <laughs> well, it's interesting. Okay, I have to say that, I mean, those listening to the podcast, they'll sit there and these voices and they're like, oh, these are learned guys. They, they've they got it all down and all the rest of that sort of stuff. And, uh, and, and I have to say, I have to say that in my personal study of these lessons and all the rest of that sort of stuff, I've learned some things too. Ephesians is full of letting us know, be joyful in your salvation already. Yes. You know, it, it's not one of those, okay, be careful, you know, the slightest little thing and you're pushed off the ledge again. <laughs> no, Paul is like, be happy, be glad. Run with it. Understand that you're saved. You know, and I'm not talking... Okay, so again, we fall off that cliff into the predestination thing, right? Okay, but that's still in this book, too. And God's intention has always been, I'm going to save you. Yep. You are elected to be saved. Yep. I'm predestinating you. And we can't be afraid of that word. Nope. You know, so... Going through the book of Ephesians, I go, wow, this is really kind of, because I'm going to use a term. Okay. I grew up being a Sadventist. A Sadventist. Yeah. yeah. All right. Now, I'm glad you weren't a Madventist or a Badventist. <laughs> so I grew up being a Sadventist, and, and this was one of the reasons, is because we were so busy safeguarding our salvation yeah. that we were taught you could lose at a moment's notice, yeah. you know, oh, well, if you look at the hamburger sign on McDonald's, that's it, you know, kind of <laughs> kind of stuff, right? You, you're a backslider. And, and that was the end. And, yeah. and now I go through the book of Ephesians and I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, no, no. This is not what Paul is talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you uh, brought some of that up because uh, – when I was listening to you, I was just kind of reading through the scriptures and it's like, you know, don't, if you read the first Sundays, I'm sorry, the introduction to lesson number nine, it talks about, you know, unbelievers like drunken parties and racy jokes and, you know, sexual promiscuity and still in our culture today, you still have this kind of like image that, you know, observant Christians are. We're sad people. Hmm. You guys are missing out on so much that life has to offer. Like, hey, have a drink and, you know, dance with your girlfriend, not your wife kind of thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's kind of the, the, the way the culture tries to speak to us. Yep. But what we should be trying to push back on is that, no, you, you guys aren't really happy. And that's why you're chasing all of these other things. If you're chasing after the sexual immorality and the party life and all this kind of stuff you're distracting you're you're using up time aimlessly because you're so uncomfortable with your lack of true happiness and that a christian can be truly happy and that doesn't mean we dress like the puritans and walk or walk around somberly wearing black all the time or anything like that it just means that i don't need i don't need all these additional distractions or diversions in my life because I'm using my time wisely, I'm 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 working towards something, whatever the case may be. And you can, I mean, you can actually link that into like history and sociology. You know, you have the things like the Protestant work ethic and things like that. Well, where did that come from? Well, that comes from our Puritan fathers. You know, the Puritan fathers who landed here in New England 
few hundred years ago going, hey, we're not going to we're not going to throw elaborate parties. We're going to we're going to start a different kind of society where we use our time wisely. We're going to work hard. We're going to achieve something. And that's I think that's really the way that's that's a more effective way of countering that instead of just going. So like the Sadventist thing, right? That's actually a pretty funny meme. Like there's a lot of good stuff on the Internet about that. But it's true, right? Like everybody has to walk in like, what are you so happy about? Like the devil controls the world and, um, you know, we're stuck here and whatever, you know, and I can't play Monopoly on Sabbath afternoon. But I can play Uno, which is weird, you know. And Rook, Rook, dude. Rook. Oh, Rook. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. It's called Bibleopoly. <laughs> Obviously, I grew up in a in a in a in a in a, in a bad Adventist, a bad Adventist uh, home. But you know, like the, we we have to be able to have these pushbacks, and we don't have necessarily have the pushbacks. We don't have the counter arguments. We just go, you know, we'll just go like, wow. Well, our counter is is that we take all emotion out of it because you can't be happy. Because if you're happy, then something's wrong with you. Because what we're being pushed in this society is like, okay, so my wife and I were talking about this. Okay, we all know that Sinead O'Connor passed away. Okay. And my wife's conversation with this, and this is an ongoing thing in medical right now, is something they're calling terminal depression. Okay, the idea here is is that there's really nothing, you know, physically wrong with you. You don't have an ailment. You don't have anything. But your life is so ground down mm-hmm. and that you suffer from depression so badly that you see no end to it. Mm-hmm. You see zero hope. And it causes you to drive yourself into this depression that there is no getting out of. And they're calling it terminal depression now. Well, wow. I mean, that's what Christianity is on this earth to combat. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But if we're not true purveyors of the joys of Christianity, like we take we take the the um, the attack by the world, and you go, yeah, you know, you watch your right. You know, we we really should be just down in the mouth about everything, you know, because. Because Lord knows we can't have joy. <laughs> you know, right. And we play right into it. Yeah, we do. And then we don't bring anybody yep. to Christ because they look at us and like, yeah, I don't want what you got because what you got is horrible. Or even or even yet people will say, well, you know, this why spend three score and ten years in, you know, droop shoulders and, and downcast face when... Uh, you know, it's a 50-50 chance anyway I mean, that I'm going to make it. You, so, look, you, look, at, you but, look back to the Bible, okay, and it says, suffer the little children to come on to me. Okay, that's one of those texts that I look at. If Jesus was a dreary, droopy curmudgeon, oh, yeah. people would not have they gravitated would, would have to Certainly would not, not children. No. When I'm looking here in, in Ephesians chapter 5, it says, follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children, walk in the way of love. That's an interesting choice of words. Walking, we all walk. Walking requires muscle, balance, focus, right? To, to walk. It's an action. He's saying walk in the way, not of hate, not of indifference, uh, not even of joylessness. He says walk in the way of love. And I think that's a powerful word picture right there, walking in the way of love. And, and I, I think coming back to where we started is you know, part of the picture is when 
people see us walking out of church, walking down the sidewalk, walking in Walmart or Target, wherever it is, hopefully they see love. I mean, hopefully. Well, let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. Okay. My wife comes to me all the time, and she goes, Tom, you know, should you take up running? You know, let's go walking. Let's go running. Let's go do something. And I said, no, 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 no. I'm not going to do this. And she goes, well, why not? It's healthier. And I said, yes, walking and running is healthier. But point me, whenever you see someone coming at you who's running, what, what what's the look that they have on their face? <laughs> okay, no, it's not a person smiling who I've ever seen running ever. Okay, zero joy. It's healthy, yep. but there's zero joy. Yeah. Okay, I want to do an activity that I can smile about. And when we come out of church... We should be filled, yep. and we yep. should be smiling, and we should be ready to share. Yep. Yep. So, so that's a good point. That's a good point. Now, it's interesting that Paul says, okay, it's God practiced what he preached. Christ loved us, gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. It's interesting. He gave himself up. Um, there's a lot there, and I think we could spend the rest of the time on that, but I want to shift gears to the next verses because he says here, but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual morality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For this you can be sure, no immoral impure or greedy person such a person as an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God that's an interesting line in the sand he draws there I mean that's you know we, we, we believe we're saved by grace which we are but did I if I'm not if I'm you know not mistaken he's basically saying the immoral the impure the greedy person Ain't, ain't saved. Is that? I think what he's doing there. I mean, who, who persists in that. Right, right exactly. Yeah. It's the yeah. persistence. Yeah. Because if he stops there, then that's it. We're all done. Yep. All of us are done. Yep. Okay. But you can't stop there. No. I mean, that line, that kind of line has been used throughout, you know, inside the Bible. Well, if you're a this and a this and a this and a this, then you're done, right? Yep. Well, you know, guess but, what? But we're all something. But that's, I think this is the, that's what we're getting at here is this, these are issues we all grapple with. And, and, and it's that persistence. Are we growing less in this? Are we, you know, we, are we, is that part of our lives subsiding and the other side, the antithesis growing? Is purity growing? Is generosity growing in our lives? And this is where it gets deeply personal. And this goes into the, you know that invisible part of our lives. You can you have to be very careful though, because because I know a lot of people who turn that very thing, and instead of beating themselves up for their sins, they beat themselves up for the fact that they haven't stopped sinning. Yeah, they don't see that progression yep. in their own life. Yep. Oh, oh, oh! You know, I I really like that cup of coffee, and I know that I'm supposed to I'm supposed to slowly but, but wean here, myself. But off. here is the thing, guys. <laughs> here is the thing. 
I think when we look at Paul, Paul's understanding of immorality, impurity, and greed is not what we're talking about. It and, can't and, be. No, right. No, you know, we're moving beyond. And I, I certainly understand as growing up as a lifelong Adventist, I understand the coffee issue, the music issue, you know, dancing, all these issues that are there, the dress. I don't think we're talking about that. I think there's something deeper here. Can I, can I add something? Please do. Okay, I don't mean to like... So sure. I'm going to repeat something that I've said multiple times. Ephesus is a microcosm that sort of represents our modern culture, right? There's a lot of elements in Ephesus that um, we could identify with. Mm -hmm. And so I want to go outside the normal Christian uh, corpus of discussion, and I'm going to bring in a mid-20th century French Angolan philosopher named Albert Camus. Oh, I've heard. Yeah, that's funny. I just listened to a podcast refer referring to him. So Albert Camus gives us a lot of insight. If you read Camus' work, it gives a lot of insight into, he deals with things like emptiness and depression and suicide and this uh, feeling that like there's no point in existence, right? So he comes out of existentialism and then he moves into and sort of forms in, and I'm condensing a lot of philosophy here, but he moves in and, 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 condense, and forms uh, his own sort of like branch of existentialism called absurdism like as we experience life it, it's absurd life itself is absurd hmm. and so he deals a with a lot of these issues throughout his work and you can see when you started his very his first writings and you go through it and like so he had he paired fiction with nonfiction. so there's a pair of books right so there's there's always a, a non-fiction book and a fiction book so he writes a novel and then he writes philosophy and they always go together and if you follow that progression you can see an evolution and he wrote a book called the rebel um which is a non-fiction book it's a work of philosophy and in that book he posits that our modern culture our modern society the way that we experience the world um since the 19th century is fundamentally nihilist so nihilism mm -hmm. says that there's absolutely no meaning in anything right essentially and so what he says is so when we think of like you want to talk politics, you want to talk religion, when you think conservative and liberal, left and right, he's like, they're both nihilist. And so left-wing nihilism is, there is no point to life, so I have to find my, I have to find meaning and purpose and identity in the group. Mm -hmm. Right-wing nihilism is, there's no meaning or purpose to life, so I have to find meaning and purpose in, in my, in my own self, I have to create it for myself. And so all the conflicts we see in the mm -hmm. church, in our institutions, in our society, in our politics, are those two uh, forms of nihilism coming up against each other. And what you have in Christianity, and this is where Christians, we don't study, and I don't mean to be critical, and I know more than anybody else, I just, I, this is me just throwing this out there. We need to be reading what some of these philosophers, these thinkers that have influenced the way our society develops, we need to read and understand them because then we know how to speak to the issues that we're seeing. Like we look out in the world, you go yeah. like, well, how do we talk about this? And what you end up with is the Sadventist, Madventist, Adventist, you know, somber, I, I didn't give up my sins. Well, that's really not what the pastor's right. I think he, that's really not what Paul's talking about here. In the Trinity, in the church, what you have is sort of this like perfect blending of meaning 
and you find meaning as yourself as an individual for yourself as an individual and you also find meaning belonging to a, another entity or another group or several institutions higher purpose, yeah. a higher purpose the church for centuries and we've abandoned this because we're afraid i think the church is very fearful in the current environment we're afraid to talk truth right because we're afraid of getting hashtag canceled or whatever but we shouldn't be afraid because my my word will not return unto me void is what the lord says in isaiah but that begins with the family right mm-hmm. begins with the family we need to the family is the fundamental institution of any society or group it's the it's fundamental institution of the church it's the fundamental institution of the civic yeah. arena and in that grouping and we'll get into this i think the next lesson which covers marriage and family but in that grouping you you learn to balance individual identity with group identity right okay so yep. all right so i see what you're and saying you also learn that in the church because the church it, its relationship with christ is right. analogized as a marriage it's both right so how do we keep those other world views <clears throat> nihilism left-wing right-wing nihilism how do we keep those out of the church while retraining the christian mind to see it the way that Paul in the Bible sees it? Well, it begins with teaching it in the church. We have to make the church aware. Like when you go to seminary, you need to be learning these things, right? So I, I want to just interrupt you here. Because and maybe that's a digression, that's, but... But it's interesting is I just started reading this book here. Some of you some are familiar with Tony Campolo. He's a very popular author, speaker. So he has two children ironically named Bart and Lisa. (laughs) And Bart was very active in ministry, was almost like a assistant of Tony's as they would go plays, they would travel together. He was loving it. And then, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, he said, basically, I'm an atheist. I don't believe that there's a God. And so it's really very interesting. And, and in this book, I'm about halfway through. So they're both have, sharing their side of the story. And basically, uh, Tony's like, well, you know what? Part of it, there's a lot of things going on in, in his son's mind. But part, he thinks part of the shift in his thinking happened when they moved from, I think it was Philadelphia to Cincinnati. When they go to Cincinnati to, by the way, do ministry to the homeless and to those less fortunate, he observed something that his son and his wife really didn't get connected with any church. They go to Cincinnati, they're doing their thing, but when when the weekend comes, they're just by themselves. Right. And and Tony's like wondering, did that did that was that a factor in their shift from Believing to non-belief, and because you know it's very well evident, uh, you know, chronicled that the people we're around influence us, and we've got to remember, you know, this may sound like we're let's go to thirty thousand feet. Paul says he writes this to a church. This is ecclesia. These are people called out. He didn't write. Okay, there's 332 believers in Ephesus. I'm going to write 332 copies of this. Here's one for the Smiths. Here's one for the Joneses. Here's for the Roms and the Blooms. And, you know, okay, now do your own thing. 
he wrote it to a church because there's something that happens, and Jesus knows this, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. And so... If, if they're pursuing, actually correct. pursuing Christ. Correct, correct. And, and it's interesting that, you know, let's look at the big picture. This is a letter to people who really ordinarily would not congregate together, except for the fact they have one thing in common, Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the common denominator. And so they come together. There's rich, poor, educated, uneducated, slave and free. They're all there, and, and, and they get this letter. And, oh, remember, church, remember, you were predestined. God wanted you all along in his church, in his, in his body. And now he's saying, listen, as a result, let's walk in the way of love, and let's avoid these things. And, and, and you know, there's a point there where if we're so in love with immorality, impurity, with greed, with essentially narcissism. Right. If narcissism, if you're just, what can I, it's all about me, you would really feel uncomfortable in heaven, period. You'd be like, you get up there, and you're like, wow, all this gold, and you, you've heard these stories about somebody up there with a chisel. Yeah, pickaxing the road. Yeah, pickaxing the road, and putting in their pockets, and then you're gonna be out of place. And God knows that. And so that's part of the picture here is that, uh, um, you know, they're just, you'd, you'd be out of place. So anyway, I interrupted Roger. No, it's, but, it's, it's okay. No, it isn't. <laughs> but so the gold, the streets of gold thing and everything like that, right? We usually, we put it into terms that we understand and it becomes this like, oh, well, like, you know, God's rich, God's, you know, God's own, God owns everything. And I think it's, it's much deeper than that. Definitely. Yeah. Why, why would you pave the streets of in gold in heaven? Well, because what gold is like the universal medium of exchange mm-hmm. throughout history. Well, economic exchange becomes moot in a heavenly environment now that doesn't mean i think that we should stop and we become communist or something that's not what i'm saying what i'm saying is that the ethic that's involved in heaven no longer is about what what do i get out of this interaction right because you're but that's not just because of the change in your own heart it's because the change in the community that surrounds you right we can't live in a world where we go what I don't have any interest in economic exchange. You can't you can't survive if you take that attitude in right. the modern not in the current world. Current right. world. You have to engage in economic activity. The point is like we should we should try to cultivate and that, that's what we forget about the church, right? We 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 make the church all these different things. It's a social club, it's uh it's it's therapy, it's um cultural, it's where somber people who have stopped <laughs> drinking beer come together or whatever right. you know what i mean whatever, it's yeah. like no that's not what any of that's about it's why did why did you stop drinking right i stopped drinking because i found jesus and i and i no longer needed that outside stimulant or whatever to make me feel like i was fulfilled up because i found purpose and meaning through christ and then that might be my story and then your story is you know my marriage was on the rocks and when my wife and i focused on Jesus, you know, our, 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 our marriage came together and the pastor's story might be something completely different, yeah, but right. what, like what you just said, people who wouldn't normally congregate together are coming together because of the person of Jesus Christ. There's an interesting organization in Los Angeles and I don't know that they still exist. I, I came across them a few years ago and I was on the internet and 
the internet's an interesting place. Oh yeah. But I see this thing. It was like on, I think it was on YouTube or it might've been, was it YouTube? I forget it. it anyway, it was a website and it wasn't like a, it wasn't like a mean, dirty website. It was like a somewhat religious website, but there's this like sort of like clickbait ad about like, you know, this porn star who found Jesus. And I'm like, oh, right. So, but I watched the video, but I watched the video. And then, so there's this guy out in LA. I don't remember his name, but he starts this organization called the triple X church. And he has these special Bibles printed. They're not really Bibles They're They take particular scriptures that speak to, sexual immorality and like focused on that that industry the pornography industry and so this guy gets all this literature printed he starts this organization called triple x church and he actually goes to their like professional conventions who knew there were such things right but they are (laughs) um, and they have like their own version of like the oscars or whatever and he starts going to these events where you know people are walking around naked and selling like all kinds of weird stuff and he sets up a he pays to set up a booth and he tries to reach people with the gospel like hey you can come out of this life there's something better for you you don't have to live like this and now you have all these former pornographic performers who are giving testimony like hey this guy did something com- that you would completely not expect, right? You would expect a Christian to be like, "No, we got to stay far, far away from that." And this guy like went in there and said, "Hey, I know what you're chasing, and you're never going to find it going down this path. Let me offer you an alternative." And not obviously, not everybody takes him up sure. on that. Some people are probably tossing it in the trash or whatever. But the one that sticks in my mind was they were at this like pornographers convention somewhere. And they were getting on the airplane to go back to wherever they came from. And, you know, they were bored or whatever. And they just opened up this, like, sort of like, they, he called it a Bible, but it wasn't really a Bible. It was like different passages of scripture put together. And they just started reading and they were just convicted. Like, mm. oh, I'm, I'm engaging in something evil. And that sounds really like blasé, but I'm, I'm simplifying. But my point in bringing that up is you what we what we do is we focus on our individual selves and then we go out and we try to find these community group, you know, these groups that will somehow fill me up. Mm-hmm. And then it, there's always this interplay. Do I do I give myself over to the group or do I remain an individual? How do I remain an individual and still be a part of the group? And there's always this tension of am I my, am I myself? That's why marriages break up, right? Married, you know, one of the husband or wife goes, "Hey, this isn't working for me," and I'm I'm out. Yeah, right. I don't like this anymore. Instead of focusing on the institution or the group or the purpose, and I think that really like encapsulates like what we experience, what normal people experience in the world today, is they have this extreme tension. Right. And then to go back to the whole like chronic depression, what I forget which one of you brought it up, but in places like Canada and the Netherlands are actually offering assisted suicide to people with chronic depression. Oh, you're Mm. you're depressed. You don't feel like living. Well, let's help you end your life then. Like that's the point Mm. we are in our society. Well, maybe Mm. not ours, but if it happened in Canada and the Netherlands, it's a good chance it might eventually happen here too. And that's a crazy, crazy way of looking at it. And it's sad. Oh, yeah. And there's so many things. And a lot of people in the church are not aware yeah. of what's really going on in the world. We've created a bubble. We're in South Lancaster, Massachusetts. 
It's an Adventist center. I've lived in Adventist centers for over 20 years now. College wow. Dale in here. My yeah. whole life. And so you don't know what's 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 the average person experiencing on the streets of Cincinnati right now. Yep. Most of us have no idea. No. Nope. We can't even conceive of it. No. Nope. So how do we how are you going to minister to people? And that's the and I brought that's why I brought up the pornography minister yep. guy because he said, "You know what? I'm going to enter these people's world. These are sinners. These are these are sinners in need of salvation. Jesus died for them. I'm going to enter their world and try to understand it and pull them out." Yep. Now, that's an extreme case, but how many of us even take the step of trying to understand what the world's really like just around us? Yeah. Go over to Clinton or go over to Lemonster or Fitchburg or something like that. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, well, Sorry, I didn't mean to go off on a no, crazy digression. That's, that's very good. But and that's what Paul's speaking to. Paul's yeah. saying, like, you know, you guys, we all understand this. So, so it's a powerful sort of a springboard to the next verse. I think this really ties in well what you said, Roger. For it says in verse 8, for you were once darkness. You were once darkness, not in darkness. It's interesting. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And here's a powerful phrase, and find out what pleases the Lord. Isn't that interesting? Find out what pleases the Lord have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Uh, be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but at wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a lot there. But I'm, I, I, I go back to that simple phrase, find out what pre pleases the Lord. It's, it's interesting because listening to you read that text, I'm reminded of a conversation or a thing that I saw in a small church in North Carolina where my wife was a member. And one of the blessed saints in the church would have read that text and did what she did, like right before prayer time. The, the blessed saint stood up and basically extolled the reasons why everybody in the church, and she called names, mm. needed prayer. Mm. You know, please bless so-and-so. He's stepping out on his wife. Oh, Please wow. bless so-and-so. You know, Sheesh. she's got a problem with cigarettes. You know, and th it's from a particular <laughs> interpretation of that, of that particular right, text, right. right? Okay, but my point is, is that... It's really starting to hit me, this idea of individualism mm -hmm. and corporate body at the same time. You can read that text and understand how people who believe in corporate versus individual, and you can understand how people who believe in individual could talk about that text differently, but still achieve the same result 
in a spiritual context inside their lives. So on that note, I'd, I'd add that, you know, well, if we have become a society of individuals, we will implode because we really need to acknowledge that we are interdependent, period. We're interdependent. Yes, and, but, but, okay, and I'm not disagreeing with you, but we're also individuals. Okay, no, it's that, that it's that weird dichotomy, <clears throat> yep. right? Okay, how do we balance our individuality, which is like burned into us as Americans? Yep. Okay, Europe. And you God know, put it there. And God put it yeah. there. Okay, so, but how do we then launch into the group dynamic thing and say, okay, I'm equally a part of both while maintaining an identity in both? And being okay with the fact that I can be identified in both. Mm -hmm. The family. The family is key. And and I would say, let's be honest with ourselves, we all have blind spots. As much as we like to think we're all knowing about ourselves, we have blind spots. And And this is something we really don't talk about. I think this is what Paul is trying to encourage the Ephesus church to do without actually saying it, but we need sort of accountability. We need to say, hey, brother, you know I love you. I think the world of you, and we are really blessed by what you're doing. Keep in mind, you know, and then help us to see those spots, those areas that we need to say. You're kind of like getting for your own sake, and that's done in trust and in privacy. In a, and, in and a relationship. In a relationship of trust. Right. And that's that person really was, that was terrible what she did. And not everyone's blessed with the gift of exhortation. Okay, <laughs> let's just make that very clear <laughs> and here. The, yeah, no, I agree. And, 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 and I think that's, that's something, and that's, that's terrible that that happened in that church. But she really thought, see, this is the thing. She truly thought that that was the methodology that was supposed to be employed. And and dare I say that maybe somebody in the church who had the gift of exhortation but didn't have the gift of speaking up should have said, Sister, we love you. You, We know you have a heart of gold, but when you say these things, it just sort of isn't the time or place. And to confront that person in, in, in love. Right. And, and uh, work with that person. I actually did have, um, years ago I had a church member who was, and she, the, here's the interesting thing, she was judgmental and she did know she was judgmental. She told me that. And, and one time she did say, you know, she essentially gave me permission to say, you're out of line here. And, and uh, um, you know, maybe she was unaware of this and maybe, you know, you need to have one of those things. Um, oh, what they do when they when they're there's a circle of friends. Intervention. That, intervention. Thank you. you, you we're tracking. <laughs> we're tracking for an alcoholic. They have intervention, yeah. and the people who love that person are in a circle, and they say, "Sister, we love you. We love you. We're concerned about this." And so, enough said about that. It's just that, um, you know, this is interesting the way Paul says this. Because he's sort of acknowledging that we can be duplicitous. Yeah. It's very easy to be duplicitous. Um, we see this in Christianity all the time. And you know, we haven't had a scandal in a while, <laughs> knock on wood, 
but we remember the 80s, Jim and Tammy Faye Baker oh, sure. and and Jimmy Swaggart with his prostitutes and and it was it was just like a a bucket of cold water in everybody's faces. Like this is what Christians are like, and and uh, um, it's it's un- it's unfortunate. I think we're still sort of recovering from. Well, that. we did have the Joel Osteen thing just recently. I mean, so it wasn't it wasn't necessarily a problem that what he did personally, but it was what was it during the hurricane flood or something like that. They went to Joel Osteen and they asked him if, you know, the homeless people who had been put out of their, their homes because mm. the floods had, like, just wrecked the place, whether they could stay inside the sanctuary or in the... And he's like, no. Yeah, that's right. They can't. Yeah. And I'm like, mm, okay, so that's not... That yeah, doesn't rise that. the level yeah. of scandal of Tammy Faye or any yeah. of that sort of stuff. But, you know, from a true Christian perspective, if you're looking to turn people away and say there's a poster boy for why Christians are jerks, yeah. there you go. Yep. I, I would say, no, okay, here's where I make people angry at me. I would say the scandal in the Protestant church today is believing the culture. The, the, the trendy thing in Protestantism today is to say, doesn't matter who or what you are, you're welcome here. Now, as a as a grammatical statement, I don't disagree with that, right? I think we went over this a week or two ago. I think everybody should be allowed in the church, right? But the 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 scandal in the Protestant church today is to drop all standards of what godly living means, to say we can't judge anybody, which is nonsense. And now you and to come back to that individual versus corporate thing now it's everybody can be an individual and our corporate identity is based on everybody being their individual selves and you put the church in a position where it becomes self-referentially incoherent yeah and those churches those churches are doomed to fail right those churches ultimately will be doomed to fail or They'll become magnificently successful like Joel Olstein's because you can walk in and as long as he, he he can stand in front of them and just be like, God wants you to have whatever you want. And, and people go, yeah, that's could, awesome. Could, I love this version of Christianity. You could fail in God's eyes and succeed in man's eyes. Oh, there's there's plenty that, of churches that are that's doing that. That's the issue, I think. And and it's interesting. I want to tell you a story that I, I heard so long ago. I think it was true or maybe it was just a parable. But so there was a man who was going to a church that was just really loving. And everybody loved this church. It was great. And then one day he left that church and went for another church, moved his membership to another church. And and uh, somebody says, you know, that was we miss you at, this, at the church. And, and uh, why did you switch this other church? And he said, you know, I realized that that church is so loving. They would love me right into the arms of hell. You know, in the sense that they wouldn't just say everything was superficial. Everything was, how you doing? Oh, that's fine. And, you know, you're good, you're good, you're good. And and they would just allow this person to really not address the spiritual cancer that maybe was in his life. And I think this is what Paul is saying. Listen, there's things in everybody's lives. Paul wrestled with it too, Romans 7. Yeah. You know, and it, 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 I, I think Paul is taking the approach of being of, from, of humility. Well, you've seen the pendulum swing in the SDA church. 
Yep. Okay, absolutely. Um, in the uh, 70s and 80s when I was growing up, okay, it was very intellectual. It was very non-emotional. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how Adventism was. Now you start to see this in the 90s and into the early 2000s, you start to see this switch to, you know, the kinder, kinder, gentler Adventism, you know, yeah. kind of thing. And I'm saying to myself, was one better than the other? You know, I mean, mm. you can go back and forth. And there's a lot of people who grew up in the 70s and 80s who are having a hard time facing and looking at the Adventist church of today and saying, you know, this isn't the church that I grew up in. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, we all rail against the certain things that we grew up with that we felt were inappropriate in the Mm -hmm. Adventist church today, or back then. And But it's like an older brother or sister yelling about their younger brother and sister and how they were treated, you know, when they were growing up. Is emotionalism, which is part of the thing that I think you're talking about, does it have a larger picture to play inside of the Adventist church? And I'm dating myself, mm-hmm. absolutely, because I grew up in that intellectual hardcore, if it's not theologically correct, forget about it kind of stuff. I wouldn't, I wouldn't use the word emotionalism, but I would use the word emotion in the sense that, um, uh, you know, look at this here, word, word here, uh, sentence from uh, uh, Corinthians 5. Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Right. There is something that uh, we just need to do. Sometimes we are, and we've used that metaphor a billion times. Yeah. We're, we're asleep. We're asleep. Yeah. And Paul is saying, wait, wait a second here. And it's like we are sleeping through life sometimes. And really, we're ignorant of our own shortcomings, our blind spots, our propensities, and and um, Paul says, "Look, you know, I walked that road, and uh, uh, he had the Damascus Road experience, and and you know, he was boy, he was on fire for God, as he perceived God, and he came in collision course with Jesus Christ. He realized, wow." My righteousness is filthy rags. And where do I start? And he starts, he rebuilds a foundation. He starts all over. And and I think that's something that, you know, we as as a church still need to do. We still need that come to, real come to Jesus moment. Right. Well, and, remember what Paul was dealing with. So Paul... That's a great example because I'm, I'm so I'm glad you brought it up because like look at what Paul was. Paul was a, a vested adherent intellectually to Judaism. Yes. Yeah. He yeah. was a Jew's Jew. He was ex- so, and yeah, he yeah. was so rational about it that when they were stoning Christians to death, he would stand to the side and hold their coats. Yep. Right. Yep. yep. All right. Our work is done here. You can have your coat back, and right. I'm going to go to the next thing. Right. Yep. And his come to Jesus moment wasn't that all oh, everything I believed is untrue. The way mm. I was implementing everything I knew to be true was false. My mm. implementation of the truth was false. And I think that the ultimate answer is that we don't want to admit that we are influenced by the culture more than we are influencing the culture. 
That's yeah. my answer. That that's good. And yeah, and and I just went out. He he goes from persecutor to persecuted. Anyway, true. That's you know. true. But why? Because yep. so like you you were you're a seventies and eighties kid. Yep. I'm an eighties and nineties kid. In mm-hmm. nine in the nineteen nineties, I think it was ninety six, ninety five. I don't know somewhere around there. The historian Francis Fukuyama wrote a book, The End of History and the Last Man. And so there was this sort of like culture-wide belief that we had arrived at the end of history. We'd figured it all out. Mm -hmm. Liberal, free market democracy won. Everybody else failed. Western Europe, the United States, what we would call Christian Western liberalism had prevailed. And we here we are. We control the world, right? Mm. Praise the Lord. He wasn't doing it in a theological context. He's doing it in a social scientific context. But we kind of went along with that program, and then reality mm. comes along and slaps us in the face and goes, "What are you talking about?" Right? No, the world is the world. Yep. People are going to keep screwing it up until yep. it's gone. Yep. And then you get confronted with that, and now you have to adapt to that. And I think that that in some sense explains the cultural turmoil that we're seeing outside the church walls. Yep. And that culture of turmoil that we see outside the church walls starts to explain some of the lack of identity and purpose that we're seeing in the church. That's well put. Because we're not prepared to deal with, because you have a whole generation of Tom Bloom sitting in the pews. I'm not saying that to No, I know mean, what you mean. But going, yeah, but we had it all figured out. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And now you have a whole bunch of younger people going. We have nothing figured out. We have nothing figured out. Or, right. or you were wrong. Right. Now or we, I was now we wrong. have right. it figured out. Yeah. Right. And by the time I'm sitting in the pews with my grandchildren, they're going to be telling me, you thought you had it all figured yeah. out. Yeah. But you didn't have it all figured out. And so we haven't, we still haven't um, figured out how to deal with those transitions and what what you what you have Paul there what Paul, what was Paul's transition Paul's transition was God gave the Jews the truth I'm a Jew I have the truth right and I'm going to I'm going to apply and pursue the truth relentlessly out of zeal for the Lord right and then he gets slapped in the face and he goes well what about all these other millions of people that aren't Jews you think I don't want them to I'm Jesus. You're persecuting all of these other people. All they're doing is following me, and I'm your Messiah. And once Paul gets that realization, he's like, whoa. Right? Like, I was wrong. I was wrong not in what I believed, but in how my pursuit of those beliefs ended up. Right? I wasn't actually pursuing the Lord's work. Wasn't there a time, and again, you, you guys are biblical scholars. I'm not necessarily. Wasn't there a time where Paul went, oh, my and then retreated from society for a while to go basically yeah. reread the Bible yep. and say, I've been interpreting all of these things just backwards. I think it was three years, yeah. yeah. He sort of ex- exile or, yeah. You know, <clears throat> could so, you imagine him rereading the same text that he had read yeah. over and over and over again and say, my mind originally, my first man thought of it like this and now God is showing it to me like this. And Yep. Listen, the clock ticks on, and, and you know, this is where theology becomes very practical. This is where the rubber meets the road. And Paul tells the church, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. We didn't even talk about that, but 
here he's saying, church, there's so much garbage going on. Be that light. Be the salt. Make a difference. And uh, <clears throat> Wasting time is really easy to do. It is really easy. And we hope you didn't waste time with us during this power podcast. we can podcast. convince ourselves that in, 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 in the way that we're wasting time, we're actually being <clears throat> productive when we're not. We well, fool ourselves into yep. being busy. Yeah. Well, that's a whole other... And can I just say one other thing? Yep. I know you want to wrap this episode up. up. Yep. I want. I, I just want to give people this illustration, right? Because I, my, I, so I'm the bridge between you guys' generation and the next generation, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm the '90s kid. Think of smoking. Yep. Okay. We have the health message, mm-hmm. and for years, if somebody showed up and they smoked three packs of cigarettes a day, and they said, "I believe." You know, I've read your 27 fundamental beliefs. I've read, you know, I've watched Doug Batchelor on TV and I've read all the pamphlets and I believe it all, but I smoke three packs of cigarettes a day so I can't come to your church. We would have said, no, come to church yeah. because you know what? Next month we're going to start a stop seven smoking day, program. seven day program. Yeah, we're going to start a stop smoking program and you can participate <laughs> in that. And so they come to church and they're participating and they're sitting in Sabbath school and they're very zealous for the truth and the Bible and the gospel. And we would have allowed that person to sit amongst us, even though they were violating this very taboo thing in our culture, mm-hmm. right? And they go through this seven-day stop smoking program, and they make it a month, and they're like, oh, you know, I relapsed, and I smoked a cigarette because I got stressed out at work or whatever. And you go, it's okay, brother. We're going to sit here with you, and we're going we're gonna to work with you. God's going to help you overcome this, right? And the whole time, there's this, like, we're not, we're not lying to him and saying, it's okay. Go back to smoking three packs of cigarettes a day. But we're not saying, like, get out of our building because you're unclean now. Right. Yep. We look back on that, and that seems so normal. Right. In my childhood, that was like a totally normal thing. Like the guy that came to church, you knew that Bob over there smoked three packs of cigarettes a day, but Bob was in love with the Lord. And so we allow him to be a part of our community, even though he violates this taboo. What taboos? How are we not? That's that to me. That's the perfect way. That illustration is the way we should be behaving across a range of issues. Yep. And I don't mean to but, open up another can of worms. Yeah, you did. <clears throat> so the question would be, can that person be baptized? And that's actually, these are people, this is an issue, you remember. And the other question is, well, since they have this problem, can they be in any sort of church leadership office? You know, could they be teaching Sabbath school? Could they be, the, uh, could they be a deacon? And so this is where we... And, and, the, and, and the way we fixed it was, if we can see it, the answer is no. And if we can't see it, then it's okay. Look, it's right. Jesus made Peter the first pope, okay? <laughs> oh, no. Here we go. <laughs> and Peter was a pretty bad dude. Okay, so, I mean... Sword swinger. He was pretty bad at swinging a sword. He was, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, uh, uh, this you know if you if you think this podcast had its uh, uh, moments of head scratching and and hot buttons, uh, wait till next one. We'll be looking at Ephesians chapter five, verse twenty one, twenty two, twenty three, twenty four, twenty five. 
And that's about the marriage relationship. Ladies, lucky for you, you have three husbands here that are going to educate you. <laughs> we're going to tell you. We're gonna t- Notice I'm joking. This, I'm joking. This is I'm not joking. a call-in show. Notice that. This is not a call-in. So. <laughs> but I'm here every Saturday, and and, and the pastor is too. Yeah, I am. If you so, can direct any complaints so, to him. Well, listen. We appreciate you investing your life in in with us here, and and. And uh, we pray, we really hope and pray that we've been a blessing to you. As we wrap up, uh, I'm going to ask if Roger would pray for us as we close. Certainly. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to study your word. I thank you for the audience. I thank you for anybody that listens. I thank you for Tom. I thank you for the pastor. Thank you for giving us the time and the ability to come together and do this. And I pray, Lord, that it's a blessing to those who are listening. I pray that you'll make this congregation uh, a beacon of light Hmm. of your gospel, that when people drive by this building, that that's what they'll see, that they'll just see the gospel, that that you love them and that you died for them and that you want them to walk through these doors and be loved and be welcomed. And I pray that you'll give us the strength and the courage to do the things that you want us to do. I pray for the forgiveness of our sins. I pray for our members who are struggling through issues. And I pray for everyone who's listening to this now. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thank you for joining us, my friends. And we hope and pray that we'll, we, you'll be able to tune into the next podcast. May God be with you. If you are looking for a community, have some questions about the discussion, or would like to participate in a live Sabbath school class, please join us every Saturday at 10 a.m. for Sabbath school and 1115 for our worship service at 337 Main Street, South Lancaster, Massachusetts. This has been a production by the College Church's Communication slash Media Ministry. If you were blessed by this podcast, please like, follow, and subscribe. Join us next week for another lesson and let us all remember to love more, grow more, and serve more.